This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. I'm Josh Rapoon, and this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Series listeners, you are the best. Thousands of you in 40 countries are enjoying our stories of education, innovation, imagination, and creativity from across the Hawaiian Islands. And coming soon, a special series within this series we will call Quick Kind Bites, which will feature short conversations with educators and education leaders outside of Hawaii. Stay tuned. In the last episode, I talked with Matthew Williams, a digital media teacher at Kealakehe Intermediate School and our 2019 Hawaii State Teacher of the Year. My guest today is Pookumu Kaulana Smith, the Director of Curriculum and Instruction at Laupahoehoe Community Public Charter School, located near the ocean in a small community on the northeast shore of Hawaii Island. Laupahoehoe serves approximately 300 students from preschool through 12th grade. Kaulana has worked with Hawaii students in public education and the community for many years. She came to Laupahoehoe Charter school with experience in the fields of special education and administration. She has experience with a variety of student-centered learning programs, interventions, and support services in partnership with an array of organizations, including the Foundation for Excellent Schools, the Pacific American Foundation, the Hawaii Network of Learning Communities, the High Tech Youth Network, and Kupuho Academy. She also participates with parent and community groups in enhancing student and school development, including Laupahoehoe's Governing Board, WASC Accreditation, and the Hawaii Association of Independent Schools. When I asked my dear friends Mark Hines and John Cheever at Kupuho Academy to recommend a Kupuho friend and supporter to interview for this podcast, they both immediately and enthusiastically recommended Kaulana Smith. And now, here is my Kupuho special, a conversation with Pookumu Kaulana Smith. Kaulana, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So, Kaulana, our format is 10 questions. So for the next 60 to 90 minutes or so, uh, I'm going to pitch you 10 questions and you just knock them out of the park. Okay? All right. So here's question number one. Um, so I want to start by asking you several meta, way up high, looking down historical type questions. So here's the first one. In, in ancient Hawaii, um, the period of Hawaiian history, a thousand years preceding the unification of the Kingdom of Hawaii by Kamehameha the Great in 1810. Um, before Western contact in 1778 with the arrival of Captain James Cook, what was the learning paradigm, if you will, the method of teaching and learning in ancient Hawaiian culture? Like what would the development of Hawaiian youth have looked and sounded and felt like back then? And what was the learn, what was learning's central purpose? A 
that's a that's a great question when we look at Hawaii's history and uh, and at education today here in Hawaii. So uh, I'm very fortunate that I was able to work at a Hawaiian language school and and I I learned so much about the 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 way children learned uh, back in Vakahiko, which is um, those ancient times, and then and then how it how it comes out today and today's modern um, education. So back then in Vakahiko, it was it started in the womb. You know, the child began to learn uh, starting in the womb. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is when we look at at least Hawaiian language, at least well, my experiences at the, at the school, it was that's where the olelo was. So um, everything that was going on with the parents or with the mother, the child was hearing, was experiencing. And, uh, and that's where language began and that's where thoughts began. Um, and if we all know about uh, Vakahiko, there was no written language. Right. Everything was by uh, it was oral. It was an oral language. Things were passed down orally mm-hmm. uh, through stories, through Mo'olelo uh, and the Oli and and all of that. And so it began in the womb. And then as the child came out, uh, what my studies also showed me and what I've seen at the schools, at many schools, is um, is uh, the the observation, the technique of observation. So the child will play. Right. The child will will um will grow. And it's that it's, you know, and we start using those terms that we hear today. It was the nurturing of the child. It was, um, how the child was, um, how the child was, um, taught by their kupuna, by their grandparents, by the, uh, by the community. Um, and it was, it started with the parents or with the kupuna or with the, um, with the kumu observing the child and assessing what their strengths were. And what needed to be developed, and then from there, uh, uh, in Vakahiko times, then the child would be, then the child would be um, sent out to, I guess, um, a, a school to to um, learn more of their craft, to become a master of that craft. So um, I, I read some stories um, and I did some history because I was very interested in. Um, how children here in Hawaii would learn, especially our, our Hawaiians. Um, that mm-hmm. was um, interesting to me. Uh, and that's what I came across is it, it started with um, observation. It started with um, hands-on learning. And then it, but what happens is what I found very interesting is it went for mastery. It went for excellence. Mm. It wasn't just, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be a fisherman and, and that's all you're going to do. You're going to become the best fisherman. You're going to know everything about fishing. You're going to know about the oceans. You're going to know the olis. You're going to know the traditions. You're going to know everything that has to do with that fishing, um, uh, about being a lavaia. Um, so, so that's what I found fascinating because that I could connect to as an educator, as I became an educator is, um, be- because of my, um, my belief in excellence, my belief in mastery, but at the, you know, as an educator is how do we get there? Right. Right. Uh, right. especially when we look at our students from pre-K through 12, how do we get there? Those are those formative years. Now in Vakahiko times, it was much shorter, right? We see this development again, like I said, uh, beginning in the womb. And then as the child is, uh, being, is, um, growing, uh, and being nurtured by their by their makua, their kupuna, and then the kumu, or or even sometimes an olohe, a master of a of a certain craft or kahuna. Um, that child, I, I you know, um, just taking a look at ages by you know ten, eleven, very early years, they are already being sent off to that school of um, of you know for that specific craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say a school, I'm saying you know maybe a halau. 
you know, that uh, people may be familiar with, uh, those kinds of things. So, but that's in the DNA of our Hawaiians, right? So as I, as I look at our children today, uh, as a, um, educator, educator of Hawaiian ancestry, that's my thinking is how do I promote that? How do I nurture that? And, and not only of, uh, children of Hawaiian ancestry, but all children here in Hawaii mm-hmm. because of the, um, experiences because of the environment that they're growing in it's very hawaiian you you cannot help but learn to be hawaiian here in the island so 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 that's my take as a as an educator here in hawaii i know it's very different from around the world but i'm so fortunate to be here in hawaii and to uh, choose the profession of education at this day and time and um Mm-hmm. And based on uh, what came before us, right? Uh, um, and that's a great question when you say um, what happened in Vakahiko times. Right. So here's a here's a follow up question to that. I've read, and this may seem simplistic, but that ancient Hawaiian culture did not value the asking of questions. Yet here in Hawaii today, one of the central skills that we try to develop in our youth is the asking of critical questions. So what what are your thoughts about that? And it's super interesting in the context of mastery as you try to attain mastery in something. Yeah. Um, what I what I learned, um, and, and I want to preface all of this, that my, um, my um, experiences in, in education uh, is not, I don't have a background of um, expertise in Hawaiian culture or Hawaiian language. So, uh, for, um, mm. you know, if I, if I may be mixing things up, but when we look at those questions, I found a connection with education and what it is, is, uh, there does exist the questions. So there is maha oi and then there's ni'ele. So it is okay to be ni'ele, to ask those critical questions, right? Mm. And then yet maha oi is those questions. Like you just want to ask a question to ask a question. Is like, you know, versus getting to the point. So uh, uh, in the school that I was at, and this is Kawaikini, New Century Public Charter School on Kauai, uh, there um, it, was, it was revealed that questions are a good thing. But what, uh, what the Kumu would often um, groom the children for was the, was the basics, right? Listen first, observe, you know, um, shut your mouth. And it wasn't it wasn't to um, stop the child from growing or from learning, you know. So so often when you use the English words, shut your mouth, um, you know, listen. Uh, you should be seen, not heard. That, that that in English it doesn't sound nice, but when you hear it in Hawaiian, it makes so much sense. So there at Kawaikini, that's where I found um, that's where I found the connection. Like, okay, this is this is my kai. This is good. They can ask questions, but they must learn to listen, to observe, to process, to take that time to think about it, and then you ask the kumu. And, and there you see the respect for that kumu's uh, mastery of knowledge. You ask the kumu those, those critical questions. Mm-hmm. And then the kumu will continue on. The, the, and I've seen it uh, I've seen it at the school, and I'm talking from, so Kavaikini is kindergarten through 12, and I've seen it with these kumus uh, who do have the, the background in Hawaiian culture and language. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing to see is, um, is when, they, when they get to that point with the child, and they're able to have those discussions with the with the child and with the children, because then you see the children chiming in. Everyone is learning in a group. Mm. Um, and it's a wonderful thing. I, I really I, again, I can't say how fortunate I was to um, 
half seven years at Kavaikini. They really um, opened my world as far as being an educator. Uh, and, and it validated a lot of the things that I was feeling as I was in DOE, which was before Kavaikini. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kavaikini uh, managed to validate a lot of the things that uh, I knew um, was, was right, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then now here at Laupahoi Hoi, I'm really um, trying to bring that craft um, you know, into a reality here at another charter school. Mm, that's just so fascinating. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later in the interview, but we're going to shift direction just slightly here. So the second kind of meta question is, um, the Hawaii state legislature passed the state's first charter school law in 1994. And as originally passed, the law authorized up to 25 existing schools to become quote unquote, student centered schools. So you've been involved, as you said, since 2008 in two charter schools, the Kavaikini New Century Public Charter School on Kauai, and now Laupahoehoe Community Public Charter School on Hawaii Island. So help our listeners understand, from your perspective, the reason for charter schools' existence in the state of Hawaii. Like, what is... What is their meaning? Uh, what, what is their meaning in the larger scheme of education in Hawaii from your perspective? I, I appreciate the fact that you, you, um, you have our listeners focusing on, on Hawaii. So, so we, we were aware of the public charter schools movement um, on, the, on the continental United States. But here in Hawaii, for me, it's very different. It's very different. Um, and not only with our state educational system and authorizers and all of that, but but just the charter school itself. So from my personal perspective, what happened for me, my my voyage or my pathway for um, Hawaii Public Charter School began with my own children um, as I put them into um, Kayapuni, Hawaiian Immersion um, School that was part of, which is still part of the Department of Education, is Kayapuni. Uh, there on Kauai, um, I became a part of... Um, the Kayapuni um, community uh, in Kapa'a, and um, and what happened there? What what I saw there was something very similar to what I was experiencing in special education. Hawaiian education was in the background, was on the backside of the campus, was tucked away, uh, very much like uh, my first years, my initial years in special education, tucked away, all the way in the back, kind of unseen and somewhat forgotten, uh, but very powerful. And, uh, and that's what I saw. And we, what happened on Kauai is these teachers um, who, could, who felt they could not make any kind of movement then sought a charter to create their own school on Kauai uh, with the mission to, um, of, of Hawaiian language as well as a Hawaiian cultural curriculum in itself. So that was my beginnings with um, Kavaikini. So I started with them. They were a startup charter school, which mm-hmm. was, uh, and that's something that I learned about that one. Uh, it was a startup charter school and uh, based on Hawaiian language and its Hawaiian curriculum, the development of a Hawaiian curriculum called Mano Kalani Po. And what was fascinating about that curriculum was it it is the belief in is that our children need to understand who they are, where they come from, so that they can be an asset not only to their community, but to the world. Now, you're talking about somebody like me and I have, uh, you know, I have a degree in English and education and all of that time. So, so when I was asked to come to Kavaikini, I asked them some very pointed questions like, what does this, how does this connect the children to the rest of the world? And, um, and it, was, it begins with that belief that our children here in Hawaii need to know who they are, where they come from, and, uh, and the asset and the, uh, and the 
products and the everything that they can offer again to the world. And and I use that word very carefully because um, that's that that was also my belief. After our students leave us after graduation, what happens to them at that time? So I appreciated what Kavaikini was doing with the language and with um, with the curriculum itself. And I've also seen it in progress. I've seen it work. You know, um, they're, they're still, from what I understand, they're still um, firming up the curriculum, but I saw its basics. I saw the uh, initial level, the initial steps of the curriculum really making a, an impact on children's learning. So I was grateful for that. Mm. Uh, so that was Kavaikini as a, as a new st- startup charter school. Uh, what was also great, uh, and I was Again, uh, I was blessed to be at that school because that's where we saw uh, a, a true application of hands-on learning and place-based learning, right? So from Kapa'a High School, I have to backtrack a little bit. From Kapa'a High School, that was a Department of Education. That was a DOE school, and I was in special ed there. Mm-hmm. Now, for many special ed teachers, what works for those kiddos? Uh, it's hands-on learning. So, so there, there I started hands-on learning, and then it developed into project-based learning projects that, uh, and projects that began at the school that um, provided engagement, participation, and yet it also developed partnerships with the community, and the school becomes a resource, and it's student-led. So that's a, that was my experiences at Kapa'a under special education, and it was under a program called Workplace Readiness. And that's all it was. It was for workplace readiness. But we had this, I had these wonderful partnerships with um, DLNR, Aquatic Resource Division. And so that was my beginnings of project-based learning. And, and I studied about project-based learning. They sent me to um, trainings and all of that. And I, I was in because it was helpful for my students in special education. Then I moved to Kavaikini and I see another facet of hands-on learning, project-based learning. But what Kavaikini did, it was place-based learning. We're going to know everything about this place and not through the books, because there are no books, right? There's a lot of resources. There are no books. So here I went from a DOE school that used the books, used the, you know, all all the numbers and and all of that. And then we go to Kavaikini and they go to the place Mm -hmm. and they work with the community members and and they develop um, that sense of that EK, that knowledge, right? Um, If anything, it was, um, it was a, what needed to be developed while I was there or right before I left was more of those uh, essential questions. What more? Right. You know, where, where, by the time I left Kavaikini, they were at a place where the, the students were experiencing. They were experiencing this new learning, this new way of learning, and it was new for them. Some of these students, when, when Kavaikini started, it brought on students that only knew DOE style of learning. So, and we saw that at Kavaikini. It was like, okay, okay, they're used to the books, they're used to the worksheets. Okay, we can, we, we got this. And, uh, and we would try to transition those those kids as well as the parents to like, we're gonna take them to this to this uh, vahipana, and they are going to learn everything about it. Mm-hmm. So it was very new. Uh, parents and uh, students and parents who who did uh, make the move to Kavaikini, they were making a commitment to uh, a very different and innovative style of learning. Right. Uh, and in those initial years there, I did see its development. I did see its nurturing. And um, I was very proud of Kavaikini. Uh, but they weren't quite there yet when I when I left. But uh, I knew that they would uh, it, they were on the right path. Uh, right before I left, I um, finished up with we were looking at um, assessments. 
what are those assessments to assess student learning and performance and productivity in place-based learning. Right. And so that right. was that was right about the time that I left. Um, um, but we they had a wonderful uh, uh, Pookumu there, and uh, I knew she was um, I knew she would um, take care of that um, of the school and the curriculum, and it and it would move forward. Um, it's hard for me since I moved here to Hawaii Island. I haven't been in touch as um, as much as I would like to, but once in a while I'll talk story and everything. Everything seems to be going fine there. So that's so fascinating how our charter schools, as opposed to charter schools uh, on the mainland, were originally envisioned to be model schools of student learning or student-centered learning. And and so it's so fascinating what your experience uh, you know, was like at Kavaikini. So I want to segue to the the third of the big meta questions, um, which is, um, so we have these Hawaiian immersion schools in our public school system, and we have Hawaiian-focused public charter schools on all islands. So what what are the differences between all the public and charter schools focused on Hawaiian culture and what binds them together? That's an interesting question. Um, you're you're taking me back years and then, right. um, fast forwarding me, fast forwarding me to the to the present. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is, um, again, my my um, initial experiences with uh, public charter schools here in Hawaii began with uh, Kulakayapuni, which is the Hawaiian Immersion Schools in DOE. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, Again, I need to be mindful for uh, those who, who have come before me and all of that. But my per, my personal perspective, um, and initially as a parent of a child in Hawaiian immersion, was Hawaiian immersion in DOE was very DOE, right? They were they were they were held under um, many of the um, of the standards of DOE and and everything that came with that. And it was uh, stifling to many of our kumu, at least the ones on um, that I knew on Kauai. Mm. Uh, I was part of their parent group, um, the, and because I was an educator, they would talk story with me about things on how we can make a difference. Uh, and my take on it is that they did want to work with DOE, but it was it was hard for them. It was hard for them, and it was it was hard mm. for that learning to become authentic. And what that means is in the Hawaiian immersion schools that are part of DOE and part of the DOE campus, what happens is these, the, the keiki would be in a full immersed classroom of Hawaiian language and culture, and then they would walk out the door to recess or lunch, and it was all English. Right. Uh, now, now, one could say that's a great thing. That's, you know, two languages. It, it was a great thing, but what would happen is that transition out of the classroom and back into the classroom, out of the environment and back into the environment. And that's what the kumus were struggling with. They were, they, uh, the, the child was losing sight of it because also imagine these kids also go home to uh, a very Western and English um, home environment. Yes, the parents want, and this is back then, this is back then, and, and um, allow me some time to bring it forward. Uh, and this was back then where, where um, just a very few handful of um, uh, uh, families were, were, uh, were able to um, continue the language and the culture at the home. That was back then. So for me as a parent, I placed my children in um, Kulakayapuni, Hawaiian immersion. And yet when they came home, they came home to me and my husband who, you know, I have, you know, I was a, I was an English teacher. I had, you know, we, we spoke English. We did have, you know, we did have a, a one or two years of Hawaiian language. Um, and, and then 
our belief between my husband and I that we lived Hawaiian. We lived the Hawaiian culture. So so that's why we were confident when we sent our children. Now the the only the only um, concern that existed was the language, was the usage of the language. But that was also our commitment that we would learn with our children. Of course, our children took off. They took they took off with the language, and, and that was a wonderful thing. But what we tried to do was still inspire the cultural aspects uh, in being a partner when we looked at Hawaiian Immersion Schools. So that was Hawaiian Immersion Schools. Then you started to see the Hawaiian-based public right. charter right. schools, right. right? So those are the, you have Hawaiian charter schools that are culture-based, and then yet you have something like Kavaikini where they were language first and right. then culture. Right. So language and culture. And, and it's really taking off from um, Kulakayapuni, which was language and culture. They just created a charter school and that was their mission. That was their charter was to really create that with no interference, with no disruption to the language and cultural environment. So now you have a school as soon as you walk on campus. It's Olelo, Olelo Hawaii Valeno. Only Hawaiian, right? Right. And it was, right. it was interesting when they asked me to come on, and I was asked to come on as a special education teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I talked with them, uh, and the, the founders of Kavaikini were my children's kumus, and so they knew me, and they talked story with me, and uh, I I was honored when they asked me, and because the first thing I told the kumu is like, you know, I don't speak Hawaiian, right? And then she laughed. She goes. She goes, we know, but you will learn, mm. you know, uh, and that was their belief is that they wanted to bring me in, uh, uh, that I would learn. And I did, as well as provide that federal and state service of special education, because uh, they wanted to in- include all students. Right. right. Um, so so that was um, so that's Kayapuni. And then we have the public charter schools that were language immersion or um, Hawaiian culture based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we have today, now I can somewhat fast forward to today. What we have today is a melding of the two where they were separate back then, which is why, uh, at least for my personal knowledge, why the Kumus left um, Kayapuni and developed Kawaikini, you know, opened Kawaikini Charter School. We now have, you know, we come to 2020 and what I see is a melding, is a, is a partnership, is a cooperation between DOE, public charter schools, um, and everything, all that work that the Kumus and all of these people um, that had that belief with Hawaiian language and culture, um, they're coming together. Mm-hmm. They may not agree, but uh, I see a coming together of things. Um, when I came to Laupohoihoi, you can imagine what I what I came to Laupohoihoi, which is a conversion public charter school, uh, which is very different. And and so when I came here, I needed to be very mindful of who my audience was, and yet hold firm to who I was and who I know who I am as an educator after Kapa'a and after Kawaikini. And so what I see is, um, and so I started accessing um, partnerships, groups that I was familiar with from my days at Kapa'a and at um, Kawaikini. Because for me, it's like it, this, this learning should be for all and not just for the Hawaiian-based charter schools, the Hawaiian language immersion schools. What I also saw in my years um, at Kawaikini is um, much of the um, frameworks, educational, Hawaiian-based educational frameworks that uh, exist today um, comes from the experiences and the data that has been collected by um, like Kamehameha Schools, um, Office of Hawaiian Education, in DOE. There we saw the melding of the partnerships kind of coming together and, and having one focus. So uh, 
here at 2020, I, I believe that um, there's there's much more collaboration between when we look at uh, Kayapuni, when we look at um, Hawaiian base. Hawaiian-based charter schools and Hawaiian language charter schools, mm. those kind of things. Um, I, I think there's more, uh, I guess another word could be acceptance, mm-hmm. understanding of the for the existence and the missions of these schools, uh, a respect for these schools. What I also, uh, what I do a lot, especially here at Laupahoehoe, when someone comes in and they, they bring in a framework or a program that, uh, that is Hawaiian-based, I smile knowing because I know where that came from. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I remember that person. I remember when they were trying to build that up. And then I'm so excited that it came all the way here to Lapahoehoe Charter School, right? Which really isn't a Hawaiian-based charter school or a language immersion school. But it excites me that these partnerships, these resources, these acknowledgement for the EK that is now being shared is coming all the way to um, a school like here at Lapahoehoe. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Wow, this is just so interesting. Um, so listeners, let's take a minute to reintroduce today's guest. Kaulana Smith is the Director of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment at Laupahoehoe Community Public Charter School and a supporter, if you will, of Kupuho Academy, an inquiry-based, project-based professional development program out of Mid-Pacific Institute on Oahu. So Kaulana, now that we've we've moved through those big meta questions, um, I want to focus a little bit more on you. Um, so coming back to something that you talked about a little bit earlier, um, you shared with me some personal words you wrote about teaching and learning and philosophies of education. And you described your teaching style using these words, observe with the eyes, listen with the ears, shut the mouth. And so if I'm a student in a hypothetical class of yours, what does this mean for my experience with you, my kumu, my teacher? What is what is my time going to be like with you? And if I were to ask you the why question, as in, why are we learning this? How would you respond? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question because I ask myself that every year <laughs> before I get into a classroom, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's what makes me um, a great teacher is mm-hmm. I will always be reflective on my practice before I start the new year uh, and all of that. Now, when when I use those words, um, I think I also followed it up with that's actually model is I want to observe the students. I want to listen to the students. I want to be a better listener with the students. I want to understand them and then be able to bring that to the classroom and then open it up to them. Uh, It's very much like Hawaiian practice, right? Where we're going to model, we're going to model, well, also in education, we're going to model the behavior that we want, right? And, And that's what I model is that listening, is that observing, is that, um, um, well, closing my mouth and just letting them be who they are, who they're going to be. And the reason why I, I say that is because majority of my teaching experience was in high school and, um, and they're quite vocal by high school uh, and in a very different way. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, and, and, but for me, it's exciting. I want to hear their thoughts. I want to hear where they're at in their development and, and becoming a young adult. So when I use those terms, when I use that, um, Hawaiian, value or that Hawaiian no'eau of, um, of learning, it, it's also, it's really for me as a learner to learn about my students. And then I develop that 
with my students. They slowly begin to understand that uh, I am not a sage on the stage. That's not the type of teacher that I am. That a lot of the, the kuleana of their learning comes from them. Um, that uh, and I, I would often write that you know when when asked for a, a teaching philosophy, it, it always starts with that I'm a facilitator of their learning. Mm. Uh, and, and I put that first and foremost, and I talk to them about that. And I tell them, I go, you know, it, it's all those poems, it's all those sayings that with struggle you're going to learn. But what I also tell them, I'm very realistic with them because I have the high schoolers in front of me. And I tell them, I go, you will struggle, but that's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I go, you're going to make your mistakes here. I go, and then I will assist you along the way. So many of those, so it begins with that olelo no eao of learning. But it begins with the learning for me. I need to learn. I, I value learning about my students before I can become their teacher, before I can be, truly become their kumu. And, and that happens about, you know, and that happens maybe about the first few weeks of the first quarter and all of that. And then we, we really start our pathway towards, um, towards learning. And again, my, my background is in special education, but I value, I value that, um, that teaching experience. It's always been my commitment, um, for, um, that kind of teaching to teach differently, to offer various ways of learning for these students. And, Mm -hmm. um, especially, yeah, students who are, um, who come with a varying, uh, I don't really want to say disabilities, but differences, mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. in learning. Right. And especially here in Hawaii, especially here, we, we, we know so much about Hawaii and its history and, and our keiki mm-hmm. that, um, that that's why I feel it was important that I did. Mm-hmm. And that's why I entered into special education. Right. So I feel like, you know, if I, was a student in your class, in this hypothetical class, and I just listened to how you responded to that question, what I'm picking up is that I'm there's going to be a much greater chance that I will have a relationship with you rather than you being in front of me and just pouring information into me and then assessing me. I'm going to actually be in a relationship with you, that you as the guide, the mentor, the coach, the sponsor, um, that's different. And it, and it feels like there's more of a possibility that we'll get to know each other because if we're both doing that, if we're both listening, if we're both observing, if we're both shut the mouth, then something different happens, right? We can actually get to know each other in that way. And that's such a different way of looking at teacher at teaching in general, you know? Yeah. Um, when we, when you say those things, yeah, you're you're describing you're describing my classroom, and yet if you were to see my classroom, it would resemble a very traditional classroom. Mm. You know, the, the students are at their desk and all of that, but that's the relationship of it all. What I, the experiences that I try to build for these students is um, is what the world the world that they're going to um, walk into. Um, you know, sometimes there's a lot of structures and routines, and especially with students with uh, learning differences, they need the structure and the routine right. to right. set them on their path. So when you see my classroom, it looks like a traditional classroom, but it's, um, I'd like to say it's uh, based on values. So I, I heard you say, you know, again, I, I think I said this earlier, the, the English sometimes sounds very harsh. So when, mm. uh, when I hear you say things like, shut the mouth, what I use in my classroom is not shut the mouth, but I use uh, the saying ho'okahi leo, one voice, mm. you know, and it often, and you know this as, a, as an educator, everyone is talking and you can't hear them. 
So you go, you know, I'm not sure what 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 um, what saying you use or command you use, but what, what I what I built upon was one voice, Ho'okahi Leo, uh, and and what it does is, yeah, they they now know shut your mouth so mm. we can listen to others. Right. So uh, and then it, it gets to a point where I just put one finger up. Mm. So again, that that building of a relationship that is based on values, that is based on Hawaiian culture. I slowly, uh, I what I do is I bring into the classroom where you know I get to a point that I can just put one finger up, and then everyone, and again, we're t- you know in my class they learn self regulation. Like, okay, Kumu's talking, mm. or I'll have to you know I'll tell them Ho'okahi Leo so that someone else can talk. Right. So um, so things like that, you know, I, I like to think of my class as values based. And, and I appreciate that you you picked up on the word relationships with my students. Um, I, I, by nature, I'm a very reserved woman. And um, and and yet my students. Yeah, I, I build relationships with my students, um, knowing who I am, what kind of person I am. But I want them to be comfortable. I want them to learn. And yet um they do know there is a sense of responsibility and respectfulness in the classroom. Mm. My hope is, and what I often see is as they leave my classroom, that they will continue, continue those characteristics because uh, from there, from those characteristics, uh, I build upon leadership. I also build upon servant leadership, uh, community service. And, and again, I'm working with high school students. So in my classes, I slowly work up to that. Mm. It's like, okay, great. Now, what are you going to give back? And that comes from my experiences from the other schools, right. always um, giving back to the community. How can you be an asset to the community? And, and that's what that's what all of this works towards mm. is um, what happens after graduation. Right. And I'm not sure if you understand uh, if you have um, experiences in special education, but part of a, a child's plan is the transition, uh, at least at high school, is the transition from high school to the community, high school to post-secondary education. And, and for me, that, that's, uh, that's really the impetus of, of everything that I do at the high school level. Right, right. You know, I had the rare privilege of serving as a reference for a former student this week who was applying for a job. And um, when the person who's going to be doing the employing called me, I had this wonderful 30-minute conversation about uh, this young woman. And I realized just how much you get to know students and who they are, what their skills and their habits and their dispositions are. If you really do work to build a relationship with them, it was a really neat experience for me to realize as I was describing all these things about her, um, you know, to realize the extent to which I'd actually gotten to know her. And that was a long time ago, 12 years ago, you know. Um, So I I love what you're saying about that. And I want to segue from that into um, something very much related, which is that you have a second master's in educational leadership from Chaminade University here in Honolulu. And for two years, you worked on an action research project to provide an assessment tool for project-based learning for use at Kawaikini New Century Public Charter Schools um, school-wide curriculum. So I was super intrigued by this, Kaulana. So here's, here's my question. What is that assessment tool you wrote your thesis about? And what can educators dipping their toes into PBL, maybe for the first time, take from your work? My, 
that program that I entered was uh, through Kalo. It's a partnership between Kalo, which is uh, Kanoka Aina's, um, I believe, their nonprofit group, and Shamanade University. Now, I, I was part of, I, I was, again, fortunate to be part of the, their first cohort for that Master's of Education and Leadership. And uh, what it brought together was um, many of the directors and their um, and their their teachers, their lead teachers together. It brought all of us together to pursue this um, this palapala, this um, masters of you know of education and all of that. But with the sense of uh, of Hawaii's children in mind, with the belief in Hawaiian culture and traditions. And with the knowledge that uh, there is a different, there we can be innovative in our in Hawaii's public charter schools. So that was this cohort. That well, that was that master's um, that master's program. So yes, it, it was through Shamanad University, and that was because um, at that time we had leaders in Shamanad University who also valued um, Hawaii education, and, and that's why they teamed up with um, mm-hmm. with Kalo and. Um, opened up this um this educational program now what happened and yes you're correct so we all had to do an action research project and being at Kavaikini and being the person the educator that I am uh it it goes back to being a special ed teacher it's always based on data it's based on assessment so when I went to Kavaikini that's that's one thing that I was missing I go well how do you know that you know and and it was fascinating because when you ask the kumbus that they go well look you know, so there's that Hawaiian practice of observation mm. and, and, and processing and assessing through observation. But what I what I always told them, I go, let me be let me help you put something down on paper, because as we as we studied, you know, there's also the um, you have to. It, it was that whole thing of developing an assessment that would be acceptable by the Western world. Right. So much of my research had to do not only with what was out there, assessments that existed, you know, the um, the the varying assessments that that existed in the in Western education. I also did studies. I I read up on literature, what was going on in Aotearoa Mm. and what they were doing there. And and that's where um, that's where you saw the um, how they were assessing learning in a cultural perspective. And and how, and they also acknowledged that their their data was also you know was also being um, what's the word for it they weren't given the credence about their of their data because it was very different it was innovative it was mm-hmm. cultural it was traditional and yet they used and, and basically it, what it came down to what what they started with was a rubrics right. And that's that's okay in Western education. Rubrics is everywhere, right? right. So, so what I did is I, I I attempted to meld the two uh, for Kavaikini because of their Mano Kalanipo curriculum, and, and I said I go let's start with the basic rubrics because remember uh, you know in, in teaching, especially in the charter schools, and, and I want to do a, a slight a slight pitch for charter schools that um, in charter schools we wear so many hats. There's so many hats that we have to wear. So I was very mindful of this with Kavaikini as a startup charter school. So here's the development of a curriculum. They do have assessments. They can tell you how the child learned. But, you know, you needed the, you needed the paperwork for it. You needed the data for it. You needed a collection of data for it. Uh, when, we, when we look at the powers that be. And so I asked them, I go, allow me to, to frame something for you. Uh, and, but it had to be simple. Because when I, when I talk story with the teachers, they go, Kalana, we need something that is simple. And, and then, you know, um, 
allow us that. So, so that's what I did. And that's part of the action research, right? Is to, is to work with, um, with the members, work with the school members and, and make sure that you can move forward with it. So it, it really, it, it, it was designed like a rubrics, but with Mano Kalani Po in mind. Mm-hmm. And what I found was there are so many facets in Mano Kalani Po, meaning there are so many facets to assess that I had to start with one or two. Mm-hmm. And I had to work with the curriculum director as well. And, and so I think if, if there was, as I look back, um, Although the assessment existed, as I look back on it, it perhaps if I spent more years there or if I spent more time there um, as far as the cultural and the uh, linguistics and, you know, the language factors of it all, I um, I think I could have done... um, a little bit more comprehensive assessment um, there at Kawaikini. But in working with this assessment, I did work with the other two directors there. So so there were um, there were three directors, right? There was the executive director and then the director of elementary, and I was the director of the middle and high school. So uh, working with the, with the two of them, working with the two of them, we I managed to create um, uh, an assessment for the um, projects that were going on in Mano Kalani Pol. Mm. And um, but but I, I will say it, it really was designed as a rubric. Mm. Um, but but to me it, it was a starting point because there was nothing before that. It was a lot of anecdotal notes. Um, and, and yet, how do you how do you quantify it? You know, how do you, how do you bring that together so that you can track you can track how the how the curriculum is doing, how the students are doing. Um, and so on and so forth. And in fact, me talking about it, you're making me want to go back and right. <laughs> see where they're at because, uh, yeah, there's so much um, that I've learned since that, you know, and, and it's not that I'm discounting my efforts in creating that um, that assessment. It's just that, you know, as a as a person, as an educator, you know, I, too, also go for mastery. And there's so much more that I would like to do. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're making me re- be very reflective at this time is like, well. Yeah. I can go back and I can see this, and, uh, and which also brings into mind Kupuho. I right. learned so much from Kupuho as well. Right. I'm so fascinated how at this particular point in time in 2020, we so many people now are navigating between, on the one side, the traditional metrics of knowing, which is, you know, the GPA, the grades, um, the SAT tests, and, you know, everything that's cumulative at the end. And um, on the other side, where people are engaging in project-based, problem-based, place-based, culture-based teaching and learning, that they're working on different forms of assessments because by nature, those are artifact-driven artifacts of learning. And so we can't seem to just let go of one and embrace the other. We have to navigate between the two um, and still do both at the same time. And that's okay. Um, but we are definitely you know, struggling sometimes to be able to do both. So it's super fascinating that the work, uh, the work that you did, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. So everybody stay with us. After this short break, we will come back with more questions for Kumu Kaulana Smith. Stay with us. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. 
Hawaii's business people and professionals want to support our public high school students across the state, like me, Law Yagovich, a senior at Kuku High School. And Hawaii's teachers and other educators want classroom speakers, curriculum advice, contest judges, mentors, and other support from businesses and nonprofits. The Climb High Bridge is Hawaii Department of Education's official platform to connect the two communities. It's like Match.com, specifically designed to connect businesses and schools. Learn more by sending an email to info at climbhigh.org. That's spelled C-L-I-M-B-H-I dot org. Hi, friends. Toy Hirschman here from the EntreEd Talk podcast. I am super excited to support the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast hosted by none other than the amazing Josh Rapoon. And I also want to give a big shout out to all of the incredible educators in Hawaii who are doing unreal things in the entrepreneurship and design-based thinking spaces. I hope you all subscribe and listen to What School Could Be in Hawaii. And also, hey, why not check out the EntreEd Talk podcast where we interview stellar entrepreneurial educators and entrepreneurs from across the country and globe. I cannot wait to connect with you. My name is Josh Rapoon, and this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Today, we are with Kaulana Smith, the Director of Curriculum, Instruction, and Assessment at Laupohoihoi Community Public Charter School. So Kaulana, um, someone who knows you well described you as compassionate, smart, and community aware. So I want to ask you... Um, some questions about each of these attributes ascribed to you. And I promise these are not personal questions. Um, you know, we, we walk on the humble side of the street here in Hawaii, but these are actually education questions, okay? And, and so um, there are three of them and they're all kind of bundled into one. So here's the first one. This one is actually a leadership question. So what does compassionate leadership in an education environment look and sound and feel like from your perspective? <laughs> wow, you know, since COVID, <laughs> yes, COVID uh, changed everything. Leadership would be a lot of work. <laughs> yes, a lot of work, and I mean that. Um, I mean that with a sense of aloha. It's a lot of work where um, you, you need to listen carefully, um, and you need to respond mindfully. And those are things that I'm constantly working on, Josh, just constantly working on. Um, mahalo to that person who made, who um, said that about me, because if they, if people, people, those who do know me very well, all I ever wanted to be was a, was a teacher. All I ever wanted was be a special education teacher, because I'm very passionate about that. Leadership came along the way. People found out about some of my skills and then would, you know, ask me and, you know, being the person that I am, I said, oh, no, 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 um, you can have someone else. But and but and yet here I am today. I'm the DCIA at Laupohoihoi. And um, it is what it is. So when we look, look at compassionate leadership, it's um, it's just being able to listen to people, uh, and being mindful of their needs, and yet um, in education, since you said it's an educational um, question or reference, it's also being mindful that of our purpose as an education, as an educator. 
Our purpose is for the students. Our, our purpose is for um, that we provide a, a good curriculum and knowledge base for our students because they will they will they will be our future leaders. They will be our community members after they leave us. And I'm talking about pre-K through 12, um, especially here at Lopohoihoi. Mm. That's constantly what's on my mind. Mm. The development is a nurturing of the students, uh, and that's the main factor. I was once um, asked about my beliefs as, a, um, as an administrator, and, and I told them it, it comes from being a teacher, is that the students come first. And yet I, I was questioned by a teacher like, well, does that mean you don't support teachers? I go, absolutely, but what are we here for? What are we here for? Right. Uh, so so that, that was my that was my my take on it. It's just of course, of course, the teachers. Uh, you know, right. We look to the teachers. You are the source, right? Nana Ikekumo, You look to the source, right. of course. But it was also referencing them, like, well, why are we here right. in public education? Right. So 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 when we look at uh, a compassionate leader, um, th- mahalo for that. But that's how I look at it: is um, being able to be a good listener. Um, meeting the needs, you know, mm-hmm. I, in an ideal world, uh, meeting the needs for all. And especially, and I and I giggled a little bit when you asked the question because amidst COVID, oh my gosh, it's it's so hard to please everyone right now. Oh, no and, kidding. Um, you know, uh, and yet, and I find myself, because of the leadership style that I, that I do have, I find myself working a little bit harder at my craft um, mm-hmm. and very mindful of, what, of the purpose of it all amidst COVID right, because right. of the fears and the anxieties that are currently going on. So right. um, I think if you asked me this two years ago, it would have been a, a very easy question to mm-hmm. answer. But now it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, but I don't mind it one bit. I think for me, uh, again, in... in truly believing lifelong learning it may it'll make me a better leader and i found myself saying that to um many of the teachers right. is um you know they're constantly telling me i don't want to bother you i don't mean to say this i was like no you're going to make me a better listener you're going to make me a better leader and um and, and i'm a hollow you for that mm. so but, so the the next one is actually a math question so when this person described you as smart he was referencing ways you add to conversations rather than subtract from conversations. So how does that work for you? How do you add rather than subtract from, let's say, the collective intelligence, the collective conversation? That's another funny question. I need to find out who, who said this about me. <laughs> I will they, not they, reveal they, my source. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, very intuitive. Uh, I often... Um, I was born and raised on Oahu in Kaimuki. You know, I just see myself as a local girl, an island girl. Um, and um, so I have a very different perspective. I have a different different perspective when you look at a, uh, when I enter a room filled with educators, I walk in with a different perspective, a different mindset, as well as a different way of communicating. Uh, and especially as a leader, uh, in leadership, I will walk into meetings and I know people are looking at me like, what is she saying? You know, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I have to, at this point in, in my career, I have to, uh, smile about that. You know, I have to say, no, it's a different way of talking. And, um, I, you know, I need to value, um, that what I think and what I say will be meaningful to the group and, um, and, and for, and for everything that, that it involves mm. with. So, um, mm. for that one is, uh, uh, mahalo for that, that I, that I add to the conversation. Um, because yeah. really by nature, I'm not very talkative. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know where where I where I need to be talkative, and I, I know where I, you know. So I, I try to be mindful of my words, um, but that that passion um, for for learning and for teaching and for education and, and just to learn new things, that passion just overwhelms me, and, and it'll prompt me to say things at um, at meetings and. Mahalo that this person sees as adding to the conversation because sometimes um, I'll, you know, I'll get looks and I'm talking a, a very specific group of uh, educators in the room and they'll look at me and smile and, and then I'll like, what did I just say? Right, right. <laughs> but um, but yeah. that comes from passion. That comes from passion. And also um, for, for those who know me, sometimes I, that passion can come, come out very abrupt. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I try to tell people, I go, it's, I'm that passionate about students. I'm that passionate about them knowing what they need to know to be better prepared. You know, it's all about them. Um, right. right. And um, that's where all of that comes from. So this person also described you as community aware. So why, why does a school leader, public, private, or charter, need to be community aware, Kaulana? And, and how do you go about building your community awareness? Yeah, community awareness um, goes back from my upbringing or anybody's upbringing, right? So as you're being raised, uh, you know, in the family, you're just going to do and without question, you're going to help, you know, there's without any expectations whatsoever. So it it begins with the upbringing, Mm. you know, go help auntie, go over there, help grandma, go, you know, go help, go help. Everything is kokua, right? As you're being raised as a child. Uh, and there's no pay, there's no nothing, you know, you know, after you pile help and you get in the car and then you go home. Um, those kind of, it it begins with that. And then, um, at the schools that I went to, um, you know, I went to a a Catholic school. So a lot of that was also, um, giving back, giving Mm -hmm. well back that time, giving back to the Lord, giving back to, you know, the, the groups and all of that. It it was constantly that there was no, there, there was, um, nothing to come back, you know, nothing was given back in return. So again, another sense of, you know, going kokua. And then as I, um, as I entered education, again, I saw that traditional education of, you know, being in front of a book, passing the test. Okay. Go, go to the next grade. And I go, and then what, and then what, what do you do with all of that? What do you do with those experiences? And and I was very fortunate to um, meet people or um, I, I was fortunate to be in groups where it built on servant leadership. So I believe it was with the, um, it was with the, uh, a group of, um, I believe they were Kamehameha school graduates. And what they did is they had, found, they had a foundation that provided opportunities for um, uh, first native Hawaiians and yet for all students. And so I was part of that. So that was um, Ipu. Mm-hmm. Um, and there we saw, we built students, we mentored students so that they could be, they could be, um, they could be servant leadership. So it was an introduction to servant leadership. So here we took students and not only do we provide them college and career readiness, but we also, it was always in partnership with uh, servant leadership. What more can we do for our community? What's going on in the community? Are there things that we can help with? And at the time with that group, I was in, on Kauai and uh, we were there was the, um, there were many communities that needed help at that time. But what was fascinating, uh, that, that was my beginnings with the students coming up with uh, what's going on in your community. Are there issues, are there concerns, are there problems that um, your, your, your um, neighbors are facing? And they came up with the ideas. 
Wow. And we had to prompt them a little bit um, because they were teenagers. We had to prompt them a little bit, give them some, you know, some yeah. uh, questions. But they came up with it. They go, oh, yeah, this is always going on at the beaches. You know, so even though it, it, it became just a, um, a beach cleanup, there was so much more. We, 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 we gave history to it. You know, there was always connections. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is no longer is education in isolation. It yes. has to be connected, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's what needs to happen now. Right. And that's where community awareness comes from. It's like the way that you started this was by saying, if you really value being community aware, go out and help people and you will become more community aware. And then it just keeps going from there. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the kind of help where, you know, no disrespect intended, but you're not doing it to build a resume for later for college or an employer or something like that. You're doing it because it's part of your value system. Um, And it will make you a more globally aware person. So even as you specialize in something, if you go through your life and you become something, you know, some master of something, you're, you're still aware, you're community aware and not through just, you know, reading civil beat or the star advertiser, but actually in doing things in the community that make you more aware. So that's, that's very cool. I think that's what you're driving at there, right? Yes, 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 I am. Yeah. And what, what was great about it is, is it happened early on in my in my teaching career. Right. So this happened while I was at Kapa'a High School. Right. And right. Um, uh, and it came across as it came across as a uh, foundation of excellent schools mm-hmm. that was doing a project here in Hawaii. Uh, and they were in partnership with um Pacific American Foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's that group that was started by um, some Kamehameha School graduates who believed in Hawaii's, Hawaii's children and, uh, and wanted to provide something beyond Kamehameha, right? So, and right. that's why they were reaching out to these public schools. Uh, and, and that, that um, humbled me as well. It was like, wow, great. You know, so, so see, we, we see the partnerships. We see the, um, the values that, you know, um, graduates of private schools are, 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 you know, assisting in our public education system. Mm-hmm. But it started way back then, Josh. Uh, and that's where I saw the, that's where the light was revealed is like, okay, it just cannot be from a book. Right. It, it's got to be more, uh, you know, and that's where relevancy comes out, right? Right. You know, uh, learning has to be relevant, but there's, there's so much more to it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As we look at, um, I think even at one point, Hawaii DOE graduation requirement was a senior project. And I, I think it's not. It's part of a CTE or some career and technical education. Mm-hmm. But I'm a believer yep. in that senior yep. project. So from Kapa'a High School, where it was a graduation requirement, I, I offered it up at Kawaikini to their, to their seniors. I go, we, we, need a, we need a senior project because they were place-based. Right. You know, it's kind of like, okay, you're going to learn about the place. You're going to do all of this. Now what? Right. You know, um, and so, you know, it, it, I asked them to question, question their, you know, their value sets and what more can you do? Mm. Right. And then now here at Laupahoehoe, same thing. Right. right. Um, it seems like they started it up and couldn't get it off the ground. Or what happens is, um, and not to discount anyone's efforts, but, um, you know, doing a project, doing a service project just to do it. Because right. it's for the, it's for the, you know, it'll for the betterment of the community, um, uh, and not because you're gonna get a, not because you're gonna get a school credit, right? And not because you're gonna build your resume, like you said, you know, right. it's like right. you're just gonna do it, um, right. and, and that's where that's what we're building. That that's what's that, and that's what I was building as a classroom teacher. I, I was able to have students in front of me, and I was going beyond the books, going beyond the worksheets, right. going beyond the, the academic standards. What I was trying to do is take those academic standards and move it forward, 
perhaps we can use it here, you know? Um, So that's, that's a perfect segue, Kaulana, to um, the last three questions here, which are actually, actually a deep dive into Kupuho Academy and your experiences um, with that program. So um, in 2000 and so in 2018, you sent 16 teachers to Kupuho Academy, which is a four day summer PBL inquiry workshop at Mid Pacific Institute. And so Mark Hines and John Cheever, who run that program, shared with me that your group, which was somewhat ahead of the professional learning curve coming in to that four day workshop, um, became a powerful PBL mentor, coach, guide, resource to the other educators attending these sessions who did not know PBL the way that your faculty already did. So my question is, I would love for you to describe what happened and why it was, it was an important moment for your group. Yeah, here at Laupohoihoi, they were... Um our mission here is um, hands-on learning and academic success, uh, where all students are known, valued, and loved. Mm-hmm. Also in the mission is uh, community partnerships and instilling traditional cultural values. Right. I've got to tell you, Josh, that was, that was, that was it for me. When I, coming from Kapa'a and then Kawaikini and then making the move to Hawaii Island, and here is Lapahoehoe Conversion Charter School, and that's their mission. Mm. And, and I was sold on that one. Uh, you know, the first words, emphasize hands-on learning. Uh, I was sold on that one. It's like, that's exactly where I need to be. And then I come to, um, then I come to the school and they, unfortunately, they, they had a, a high turnover in the directors here. So uh, what I'm getting at is Lapahoehoe, because of their mission, started with PBL with the Buck Institute. Mm-hmm. So, um, so many of that, so that's where it started. Uh, and what, what I was seeing by the time I came in, I think when they were in year three or four as a, as a conversion charter school, by the time I came in, um, they, you know, the feedback I was getting was, uh, well, we tried PBL and it didn't go well. So, so you already saw a uh, uh, very, um, teachers had a bad taste in their mouth for PBL, but you, you had me in this school and I was like, oh no, we're going to try this again. Yeah. And uh, the, um, the director at that time said, okay, um, because of our mission and also what we said we were going to do in the academic plan, we're going to attempt PBL again. And, and, and that director was getting feedback from the teachers. Well, what happened that we can do different? And they did that. And I believe they sent another group of teachers to um, another place in San Francisco. Anyway, they, uh, I, my whole point is they sent teachers to the continental United States for training on PBL. Right. Uh, and I hope you know where I'm going with this. You yes. know, being the person that I am and, and where I came from is like, why are we going there? Yes. Well, it's right here. It's right here. And so then um, uh, an interim school director, that's how many directors we've, we've, I, we've went through, knew who I was. And she said, Colin, I want you to be on the, uh, on the teacher leadership. And I went, okay. And so I got into teacher leadership. And that's where, again, because of my passion, I started saying things. I was going, why are we going away? Mm-hmm. I go, uh, I go, I, I have read about all of these schools, but why are we going away? I go, why aren't we looking right here on the island or elsewhere? And then, um, I'm not sure. And then Kupuho came up 
And of course, coming from Kavaikini, I know what Kupuho means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pacific, um, Pacific Institute, uh, you know, I, I was born and raised in Kaimuki. I know of, uh, I know of the, the school and all of that. And we, we went there. And now, mind you, when we are that first cohort that went to uh, Kupuho, I was still a teacher at that time. I was just excited to be on the team as, as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, who they sent was is... Um, they sent the uh, middle and high school teachers. Now, these high school teachers are the ones who, who, who had a, um, a very bad delivery of PBL when the, when the school first opened up. So in my mind, is like, okay, I'm going to travel with these teachers for four days and I'm going to change their mind. <laughs> it's like, I've got to make them see that this can work uh, as, as, a, as a colleague. And we did. We spent four days there and uh, Mark and John and all of their team did a fabulous job of what PBL could be. Mm-hmm. And as we broke out in small groups, uh, I uh, I afforded some of my mana'o as um, as you know at Kavaikini and at um, Kapa'a, saying uh, again even more so what it could be. So so we have teachers who are shaken up with PBL at the very beginning. So that that first cohort that went to uh, Kupuho, well, uh, I think that those four days were just. Um, reinventing, you know, reinventing their, um, their minds again, uh, and making them rethink PBL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was great. I think they were excited. Not that I think, I know they were excited. They were ready to go. Kupuho provided a, a template to organize their thoughts. And that was one of the things that, that was missing was the organization of it all. Uh, teachers were diving in and, uh, and they were, and teachers were being teachers here at Laupahoehoe. They just wanted to do the best job that they could do with PBL, right. not realizing that there was a lot of front loading that needed to happen. So I knew that. I knew that. There was a lot of front loading that needed to happen. And so I told them, so at that first cohort, uh, as I sat with those, with my colleagues, I told them, I go, we're just going to start with one. You're just going to start with one project, you know, because you're new at this. Um, and they were good with that. And then what happened is when they came back, it, it was great. It was wonderful. They started coming up with projects that started, you know, they started with the learning in the classroom uh, and then went outdoors. Uh, and they did. They walked away with um, a lot of um, nice mini projects here and there. And yet for me, it was like, and then what? You know, yeah. I started talking to them more. And this is still, um, I think what happened by then, by by that first cohort, they um they wrangled me in into administration. And so um, I had I had more of a voice, but uh, they were still my colleagues. I wanted, it wasn't the buy-in, it was the value of PBL. It was the value of, like, you need to value this if it's going to, if it's going to work out well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it did. So, um, so we're still building on PBL here at, um, at Laupahoehoe. There was a second cohort that went, and, and I think what, uh, what Mark and uh, John saw then in that second cohort was much more hands-on, much more hands-on activities, um, the, the passion that came out from one or two of the teachers at that time uh, who were doing the projects um, and, and where we wanted to move, uh, and, and it was a good movement. Uh, and so we, we still continue with that. So with PBL, after Kupuho, after um, all of those discussions, the excitement that came from there, then we then the teachers um, started to say, hey, we need a different bell schedule. Then they started to look wow. uh, to block scheduling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, because we're a conversion charter school and, and the unions all, we needed a vote. But again, you saw the value. Uh, I, I try to, I try to, uh, I try to hold back from the word buy-in. I try to use, no, you need to value this, mm-hmm. not buy-in. Cause that that's temporary, but if you value it, it it's, it's lifelong. Right. So that was, that was always my, um, that's what I always preached at the, at the meetings. I was going, we need you to value this. I go, do you value, you know, um, the mission, 
Uh, how do we move forward on it? So again, that that mm. leadership style that I'm still trying to develop in, in collaboration, in, in discussion, uh, and mindfulness of it all. That's where we were moving with PBL. So then, the, then you saw the teachers. They valued PBL and then they adopted the block scheduling mm. uh, and then worked from there. Uh, but but it became hard for students. Students were always traditionally on that 50 minute, six period a day, so on and so forth. So so teachers knew we had to work at it. We we're OK. You know, uh, it took us a while to, to uh, change our mindset. We've got to do it with students now. So we're, we're still working at it. And, mm-hmm. and then we ended last school year uh, again. Uh, we were we were going to. Um, I believe Kupuho was also offering, um, they started to bring in assessment for learning, which right. is perfect. That goes in, that goes hand in hand with project-based learning. It, it was great. So um, we started doing that and then COVID hit. So, so I, I will mm-hmm. be very honest that, that PBL, um, the, uh, the faculty knows that, uh, that I'm a proponent for it. I'm not giving up on it. Um, but, but I'm, I'm slowing down on it. I'm slowing down on it because of, um, how they had to turn from distance learning. Yes. And, and that was really hard here at Alpahoehoe. I found myself telling the faculty as they were panicked and so much anxiety in creating these, um, these online platforms. I, I told them, I go, you know, we're not that school. We were never supposed to be this online school. I go, go and look at our mission. I go, so where you are is where you're supposed to be and it's okay. Right. right? So, so a lot of transitional time going on and still going on. Right. And yet as they, as I, you know, go through curriculum, as we have discussions, even in our uh, alignment of our curriculum, you, I will bring in <laughs> a little bit of project-based learning right? because that's so important in academic studies, right? right? Somehow, yeah. some way, what yeah. else? And especially our students, they right. need that. Right. Uh, it's not all that they need, but they need it. And so, so that's where we're at, at Laupahoehoe. If anything, uh, what, what I'm still, what I also uh, attempted to do um, last school year is I made a move. I made a bold move with these teachers um, and because they kept saying PBL, I go, how about we go from project base to place base? Right. And I told them because, what I, and this is um, through observation of the teachers, what happens with project base here is the teacher would do a project and then they're done. And, and I would tell them, I go, imagine play space, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else. I go, but it continues on. So this is something that I picked up from Kavaikini. You're going to malama that area. And it's not just for that quarter. Mm. It's lifelong, right? You're gonna, you know, whether you're going to go there actively or whether you're going to go there and develop partnerships or, or do something more. So, so that's why I, I started the conversation with teachers. Like, well, we're going to move from project-based to play-based. Right. And there you see the value and there you see the longevity of it all. Right. Mm, and right. not only that, you're going to see the mastery of learning through that. You know, that's my belief in it. With our students, you know, if you're going to start a project, imagine that you start a project and, he, and, and the student just gets better at it. Or, or the, the underclassmen, as they move up, they're going to they're going to be introduced and they're going to get better at it. So by, by the time they leave, they're going to master that EK, that knowledge. And then hopefully it determines what pathway they're going to take after graduation. Right, right. So, so it's still all of that building of it all. Right. So this, so this seems like a perfect moment to ask if you, 
if you might be willing to share a little bit about an individual that Mark and John at Kupuho brought up with me. His name is Cliff Johnson. Um, so he's a right a middle school English language arts and social studies teacher. And Mark and John talked about how interesting his work with project-based learning was. So can you share a little bit about Cliff's work? Yeah, Cliff's work, um, yeah, Cliff dove in with, so Cliff was part of that group that was sent to the mainland for uh, PBL. We wanted to start with the middle school. That was going to be where we were going to pilot PBL again. And it started with the middle school and it was with Cliff. So he went with that group and came back energized and really started it going. And uh, and it was a lot of hands-on. So we saw the hands-on. Uh, but what Cliff managed to do was 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 connect was to connect the academic um, the academic standards of it all uh, with the project, and then dive in deeper with the mm-hmm. thinking of it all. He right. managed to, and these are middle school students. He managed to take those students um, out there into the world, and then what? You know, now, now Cliff, now Cliff is a, is a worldly person, right? So he, he comes from the East coast. What, 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 what I can remember of him from the East coast. Uh, I believe he worked in, um, in, um, in Ghana or in South yes, Africa, but in Ghana. African regions, right? So he mm-hmm. worked there, spent a lot of time there. And I think in a startup school as well. So he, he, he brought all of that, his Ike and knowledge and his culture and traditions to Lapahoehoe, to our students here in Hawaii. Mm. And, and I think what, uh, because of that, he just exuded this passion and this, and this uh, thirst for knowledge and mastery mm-hmm. to these students um, in the middle school um, grades. And, and that's a tricky, that's a tricky um, grade level are the middle schools. And, but he was very successful with them. He made them think beyond, beyond the books uh, and, and all of that. And that's where he brought in PBL. Now, the, the project that I do remember coming out of um, that second, um, when we went to Mid-Pacific, then we bring Cliff to Mid-Pacific and he begins to share his thinkings um, with right. Mark and John. Right. Right. And I believe it then took on, a, um, it took on the, um, the aspects of, um, of health, health and nutrition, right. diabetes. What he found out from his students is these kids, um, their parents, their relations, their, you know, uh, here in Hawaii, diabetes was, was a very high factor in the families, in local families. And, and that's who he had. That's who he needed. He wanted to reach where, where those were those kiddos. And um, it was interesting. We had a uh, Cliff and I had a, had a discussion one time. And he was unknowing what he knows and where he came from. You know, he talked to me about it. He would he would often come and talk to me about uh, just local 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 style and all of that. And he goes, Kalana, these kids go home, and uh, families don't want to talk about their um, their illness or they don't want to talk about diabetes. Meaning, what what he was teaching them, he taught them to be vocal. To, um, to to discuss it. So these kids were going home wanting to discuss about diabetes and uh, the local style is like, oh, no, 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 never mind, never mind. Right. You know, don't worry about it. So he talked to me about it and I had to give him perspective. Like, you know, uh, much of the local families don't want to worry the children. I go, is there a way you could, um, you know, and so we, so we had those discussions on how the child can go home and talk to the parents, have that discussion because they want that the child wants to help. That, that was the whole purpose of Cliff's project 
uh, was them to to build those relationships and to help to address a concern that was going on in the community, which was diabetes. Mm. Uh, and so it was fantastic. So so he started with the discussion, and that was the, the one that he couldn't wrap his um, wrap his mind around. And I'm grateful for him to coming to me. I gave him a bit of insight, and I said, try other ways, you know. And he did. Um, I think they did food. So they mm-hmm. did food, and of course, food is a is a winner, you know, for our, our local families. He did food, um, and in you know, and living with diabetes, he did that. Um, he did music, so he he addressed all those multi sensory you know um, aspects of learning, right? right. So where right. What he did with his students is uh, he met them where you know he challenged them uh, on their strength. So if they were musically inclined, or they were linguistically inclined, or or anything, or or social emotional, uh, what am I going to do? My dad's struggling with diabetes. He was able to hit all of those varying um, um, learning styles with his students, and I think that uh, not I think I know that's what made his project so successful with his students. You know, um, mm-hmm. and that's the thing is so so Cliff has since left us. But that's the thing is I'm keeping that project in mind as we look at um, health and nutrition at both the middle and high school. It's like, how do we bring that into how do we how do we continue Cliff's work here? And, and that's what I mean by the place base or the value base. Right, it's right. not just a project that ends, begins and starts with Cliff. How do we continue it? Because it still is a community concern, mm-hmm. diabetes. Right. So so that's where I'm trying to move um, here at La Pohoi Hoi is... Um, Having teachers, as we think about uh, place-based learning, it, it's not just the vahipana, the, the actual physical place, but it's more, you know, if we were going to look at a concern, a community concern, that's what it means. So, mm. And, you know, Kaulana, as you're describing Cliff and his work, what I'm picking up is reinforcement of the idea that you are a compassionate leader who is smart and adds to conversations and you're community aware, because that's that's probably what I know that that's what Cliff must have been feeling as you supported him through that work. And I think that's something for me, that's one of my dreams is that across all islands, public, private, and charter, that our educators who really are the source of innovation um, have compassionate, smart, and community-aware leaders who have their backs and help them to move forward to guide and mentor and help them understand the, the larger questions that are out there. So that's that's really neat that you describe it that way with Cliff. Um, and so that brings us down, uh, Kaulana, to the last question. This is amazing. This has gone by like a <laughs> shot. Um, so I, I want. I'm. I'm a little worried about this question because I'm gonna. I want to go meta again, and it's kind of a. It's a complicated question. I don't want to lose our listeners on this one, but but let's just go for it. Let's see what happens. So, partly because of your experiences with Kupuho Academy, and the many teachers that you've sent through its workshops, um, Mark Hines and I got to talking about how differentiated learning is really antithetical to our 130 years and more of really tightly wound scope and sequence siloed and subject dominated curriculums. And this is, Mark and I were talking about how this is also the case for educators and their professional development, as well as kids in school. In other words, the more project-based, place-based, culture-based, problem-based, 
an educator becomes, the more we'll see educators not in lockstep as educators, but diversely moving along professional development learning journeys, which sort of likely makes your job a little bit different in a way, because you're not dealing with like, here's a professional development event. Everybody's going to learn the same thing. Instead, you've got teachers who are developing themselves and they're very differentiated along that timeline. So I guess my question is, what does this mean for school leaders, public, private, and charter across the state? What, what does wise school leadership look like when teachers are kind of all over the place in the development of their practice? That's a great question because um, as an administrator, you know, I'm also responsible for a lot of our student teachers, right? Uh, Teachers who are um, trying to be certificated or uh, licensed in the field. And then you have all of these programs, they're they're teacher programs that they're coming out of. And I'm going to go back to that. So um, I was fortunate, I feel, uh, I came out of a great teacher program, uh, whether it was the support, whether it was the program itself or the supports that it, it included, I think it truly prepared me for special education and what was coming my way. What I'm seeing um, as an administrator is, um, I don't, I'm not sure if they're, they're being quite prepared for the, the varying aspects that it takes um, for a teacher to do what needs to be done, especially as you come to La Pohoihoi, where the mission begins with, you know, hands-on learning and academic mm-hmm. access. Right. How do you bring the two together? Right. You can't bring the, those things together if you don't understand them, right? And then there's the professional development. And I, I hope I'm not rambling here, but I, I have to give credence to, or I have to acknowledge with COVID, where we would have had a regular school year of well-timed and scheduled professional development, now it's just overbearing for our teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what? I've got to do this now. I've got to study this. And, um, and, um, and it, I, I'm apprehensive about professional development. But at the same time, how do, can, I, can, I, can I start a conversation or a discussion when we look at differentiation, when we look at uh, project-based learning or place-based learning, when we look at these things because it, it – needs to be a part of their curriculum. Now, despite the, the, the title that I have, uh, what, also is, what I'm also responsible is aligning our curriculum pre-K through 12 or K through 12. And that, that's a daunting one um, uh, for, any, you know, for a K through 12 school. Yet within that curriculum development, it's not only the standards, but also what else is needed. Because I don't want to just go through the curriculum alignment, like, okay, give me the standards, give me the standards. Each time we, we talk about those standards that are needed for our our charter renewal and all of that, it's also diving a little bit deeper, like, and what else is needed? How do we address social-emotional learning? How do we address interventions, response to interventions? How do we acknowledge place-based learning? Right. Now, I, I know that tends to get a little bit overwhelming for a teacher, but that's why I go back to the program is kind of like, What's going on in the programs? These teacher programs are they telling teachers that this is this is the profession you're 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 now entering? Right. Um, uh, you know, so I'm not. It's not a it's not a blaming thing or anything. It's kind of like I, I would love to look at. Um, I would love to look at what what's going. What are there? What are the classes that are that they're taking? You know, are they taking a, a class in differentiation? Um, and, and it's always because as an administrator, as a as a you know in leadership. 
how much how much front loading needs to be done for these teachers as they enter a school because I, you know as I see the student teachers that come through the school uh, I try to I try to malama them I try to be very mindful when I was a first year teacher and still studying and, and I try not to overwhelm them but at the same time I want them to be a part of the the teacher community like take a look at your colleagues this is this is what we're entering this is the school that you're at uh, and then again a, a a public charter school at that so. Um, mm-hmm. So, so there's so much involved w- with all of this. Uh, I'm not sure if it's um, where the teacher comes from. So, so then you have somebody like Cliff who already had that. He had those skill sets about him, right? right. And then, right. and yet you see some other teachers who are who are a little apprehensive about it. Or and and then and then you have COVID, where it's like, oh, you know. And for me, as as a as the uh, as a leadership as the Pookumu, so the head of the Kumus is, is kind of like, how do I deliver this? How do I how do I ensure that they have the the tools needed to um, to provide for our students. Mm-hmm. So um, and then schedule them appropriately and, and timely and all of that. And amidst COVID, it's um it's a little it's tricky mm-hmm. right now. It's right. very tricky right. right now. I think um, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this moment and, and going back to Kupuho Academy is that they also pivoted during COVID, and the pivot was away from the standard um, or not away from, but um, they needed something different than just the standard summer four-day workshop. And so they've developed a catalog approach so that you can pick and choose what you want to professionally develop in yourself and in your practice. And I think that that's that's a marvelous pivot because it's really meeting the needs of teachers as you're describing them. They're overwhelmed with all of these complicated things that they have to do. And if they do want to move their practice forward, it's really going to be in bits and pieces. But if that's done thoughtfully and carefully, then it actually represents the same thing as a student who's moving along a differentiated timeline and is actually in control of his or her, his or her learning. So I think it's it's a super interesting moment in that way, challenging, but at the same time, there are silver linings that are out there that are pretty exciting. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, and I agree. And you know, and you have to have that perspective at this time. Or, or, or it's going to just take over your, you know, all of your sensibilities and, mm-hmm. and, and the reasoning for you being a teacher. You know, I hear so much, um, you know, from from um, about the teachers they are overwhelmed. Um, they had to just to just want to go straight home after a day here. And, you know, and I feel for them. Um, and, you know, and, and that that's part of my job again is kind of like, well, what else can we do? You know, I'm at a point we're going into quarter two and we are we're, we're going to bring back students. But it's because, again, I'm going to use the word value. We value them that we need to bring them back in. And it's on a, a small group, half a day, mm-hmm. um, you know, rotational basis, you know, always looking out for safety and health. Um, but we need them in front of us because we were never supposed to be that online school. Right. right. We were always that school of relationships. We were always that school of hands on learning. So now we have to transition all of that as well as our teachers. And um, and yet um, what we're also finding is um, we're developing our we're, we're reorganizing our our not strategic plan, our framework for something like uh, student supports and services. So now I'm asking um, our our committee on student supports and services, like, okay, well, here here's our framework for that. This, this is what happens, you know. I go, now let's put in distance learning. What does that look like? Right. You know, where are the student supports and services for distance learning? 
Like right. we need to acknowledge all of that. So, so, um, and yet I find that exciting, Josh. It's kind right. of like, wow, now we're going to do this through the framework. You know, um, those things are exciting. Anything, any other tools, frameworks, you know, for, for lack of a better term, uh, things that are needed to uh, get that learning across um, to our students um, because we, we, we lost them uh, during quarter four. Really, it was just a matter yeah. of checking yeah. in. How are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, and then now with um, we just finished a quarter. Um, that that was us just getting our feet wet. Now now it's like quarter two. Okay, let's dive in. Can we dive in a little bit uh, deeper? Um, I think and, that, and can we find that silver lining? Right, right. And and I'm just again I marvel at the way that under your leadership, your community is adapting and adjusting and figuring things out as you as you go through this process. And that's really what we have to do. We have to adapt and figure it out as we go. Yeah, you know we've got a. Um, We've got a great governing board. Um, um, we've got a great governing board and a school director who is on board and ready to move forward. Very smart. Uh, the, the governing board is very mindful of the community. And our, our director, who is in his second year with us, he's moving forward. He's um, really taking hold of everything that um, he has to take hold of. And this is through this is through major constant change and revisions from past directors. And um, and he's moving forward. We're actually being able to take a step forward here and there. And and what's wonderful about it is both the governing board and the director being very mindful and accepting this value based type of um Mm. approach that we were we were just beginning to develop here at La Pohoi Hoi. So we, we've taken on to, there's a, you know, we hear about social emotional learning, learning, trauma-informed practices, and yet the governing board and the school director acknowledging like, yes, that we, we believe in all of that, but in making it a part of La Pohoi Hoi, we bring in the, the HA framework. Right. So HA right. is that um, framework for, um, that was developed by DOE. And, and those are some of the, that framework is the one that I, I, I grin about because it sounds very familiar to Kayapuni and the Hawaiian-based charter schools, right? right. It's what they live right. and breed. And here, the, uh, the, the people, the people who are very akamai about it all managed to bring it into uh, the DOE system. And so now they have the HA framework. Glaupahoi uh, Hoi has adopted it. And I think we're going on year four. We are a community of practice with the Office of Hawaiian Education. In um, So we're a community of practice for HA. And, and it's in the thinking and in the um, decision making of, of everything that we do. So it makes it a lot easier to do what needs to be done here, right? Especially right. as we look at PBL. Especially as we look at, um, you know, valuing uh, teaching our profession and student learning. So um, I'm so excited that, you know, we're in this time. It's just uh, we now have to like pause. And I've used this with the with the faculty. I go, you have to press the pause button right now. Let's just press the pause button and regroup, mm-hmm. be reflective, take a breath. And then uh, we'll move on. But we'll move on with mindfulness. So so that's where we're all at. But but I, I've got to give kudos to um to the um, governing board and our director here. Um, it, it's, it's without them that I, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. That's fantastic. Um, That's although fantastic. I, I still keep putting it out there that I would love to go back to um, the classroom. Mm, yeah, <laughs> so would I. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, Pookumu Kaulana Smith, thank you for this conversation. This has been absolutely wonderful. Um, Please take care of your family, take care of your community. Please take care during this wild and crazy time. And we really appreciate that you took the time today to have this conversation and to be on this series. 
for having me. I'm so humbled and um, so humbled for being invited to your show. And um, thank you for your good work on all of these podcasts and bringing these um, these people to um, to the forefront when we look at um, how school should be in Hawaii. Mahalo nui loa. Mm, thank you so much. Aloha. Aloha. And now it's time for a listener review. This one comes from Ms. Fitz 12 and is titled Calling and Connecting All Educators! Exclamation point. Ms. Fitz 12 writes, Hawaii is ahead of the curve in our intersector dedication to improving the teaching, learning, and leading landscape of education in Hawaii. That is much in part to the efforts of Josh Rapoon. This podcast serves as yet another critical piece of Josh's ongoing dedication to connecting our many canoe on one progressive education voyage. Wow, huge thanks, Ms. Fitz 12. Indeed, I am passionate about the idea of many canoe, many va'a, one voyage. I will continue to bring to this series the voices of public, private, and charter school educators and education leaders because we are all in it for the kids and their love of learning. What other reason could be more important? If you like this series, please give us a rating and review at your favorite podcast store. The What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Your host is me, Josh Rapoon. My editor, show consultant, and sound engineer is Daniel Gilad at DG Sound Creations. Daniel, an amazing musician, created the original theme music heard in these episodes. To learn more about Daniel or to hire him for your next music gig, see our show notes where you will find his email address and Facebook URL. This series is funded by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. Send your feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mltsinhawaii. Finally, please like our Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii Facebook page and YouTube channel. For now, stay safe, wear your masks, stay physically distant, and please bring kindness and compassion into the world. Take care.